You are listening to The Loom, a podcast series featuring folktales, myths, legends, and lore from all over the world, with a handful of seasonal musings thrown in for good measure. My name is Genevieve, and I'm delighted to be your host. This podcast series is brought to you courtesy of my patrons on Patreon, without whom its existence would not be possible. If you would like to explore extended materials and feel like supporting the further growth and expansion of this podcast, consider heading to patreon.com slash songs for dark times and becoming a patron. Likewise, if you enjoy these episodes, please consider subscribing, sharing the series with your friends, or helping others to find it by leaving a quick rating and a review on your podcasting platform of choice. You can check out more of my work and music at songs for dark times. Welcome, friends. It is January. There are some who believe that the month of January was named for the Roman god Janus. Though we might be comparatively unfamiliar with him now, it was speculated in more than one source that I found that Janus was quite possibly one of the most important of all Roman deities. That's pretty big. But you see, he is the original all-seeing, two-faced god who is said to preside over times of transition and transformation and the difficult rebuilding time that comes after a stretch of war. One of his faces remains steadily fixed upon the past, whilst the other gazes intently toward the future. A guardian of doorways, gates, passages, endings and beginnings, Yana seems to me a strangely fitting god to preside over the tumultuous times we find ourselves in now. We are in the midst of a pandemic. That is news to no one. And we have seen riots this year and last year, and protests of many kinds for many reasons. And I do not doubt there will be many, many more. And they're happening everywhere, not just in some far-off corner of the world. Change is palpable on the wind. Powers of every kind are in a state of flux. And the ways in which we communicate, spend and earn our money, even the relevance of money itself, the things that we value, how we connect, where we will live or work, and how on earth we are going to survive the seemingly darkening future ahead of us, all of it is being called into question with great and ever-growing passion and fear. In the meantime, the overseeing powers of the world seem intent upon dividing us all into 10,000 factions and fueling those fears, political or otherwise, financial or otherwise, racial, religious, cultural, ageist, sexist, and I must admit to you, these days, I begin to lose hope that it ever could be otherwise. But either way, I would say again, who better to call upon in this brimming, 
transitional dark night of the world's soul than a two-faced god. For in times such as these, it is so hard to clearly see who we have been as individuals or as a species because we are ourselves in the thick of things. Nor can we easily find, I think, clear answers of any kind to lead us into our next iterations. That is not if we are to truly search our hearts and our histories with equal parts compassion and sincere, clear-headed discernment. And we are made of grief these days. And grief is a complex, many-layered creature. As we live in a world that does not want to let go of even those things that harm us the most, we will find grief a looming shadow standing upon the doorstep. For neither grief nor transformation can touch one element of a thing, but it must and will affect the whole. And our wings have not magically sprouted as of yet to offer the promise of flight or freedom, though the deep pains within our bodies and souls, yes, and empires, they tell us something vital is stirring but it is still far too early to see our way out of this dark, dank forest. Tired as we are, we have barely begun the journey. But nonetheless, what can we do but follow? Growing up, my father was too often fond of saying to me, Chaos is the moment before enlightenment, Genevieve. If you can sit with it, it will lead you to the truth. That saying is much easier to speak than swallow. And of course, this phrase was never quick to his lips when he would walk in to discover the monstrous messes that so often lay scattered across my floor, with my young self often weeping in the corner of the room in exhaustion trying so hard to be better, trying to be clean, trying to be the best version that everyone expected of me, and feeling so often like I was destined to fail. Well, let's hope we don't all give up in the messy floor bit, overwhelmed by these seemingly insurmountable tasks set before us, as I often wished to do, and if I'm being honest, as I often wish to do even now. For I begin to feel a begrudging understanding that the deepest truths in the world often require you to get your hands and feet and even your face dirty, touching the ugly bits that have mold all over them, really looking into the mirror at the tragedies and tyranny we choose to carry long past their burial date facing those carefully placed distractions and comforts which keep us complacent and offer a feeling of safety and sanity, but in the end, can still bury you alive. These things must be rooted out, eventually. And yes, yes, it is unbearably hard.
what does any of this have to do with stories, I hear you ask? Well, let me tell you. One of the things that saddens me about the evolution of our cultural story and song traditions lies in the transference of an oral lineage of learning into a mortuary of written pages. Now don't get me wrong, I get high on the smell of bookstores, and I am infinitely grateful for the written traditions I consume which have allowed me access to histories and stories that have shaped my life, but I would say mortuary, because in setting down our words and music onto a page, these traditions became succinct, finite, and often two-dimensional things within our minds, not living, breathing entities with a symbiotic relationship to their creators and to us here in this so-called modern world. Our ancestors knew that the world was constantly changing and that we are a part of that world and must change and adapt with it. When we began confining our songs and story traditions to paper, I think we lost so much of the ability to accept the unsaid but understood, to acknowledge the liminal aspects of living and the integral human element within those songs and stories, thereby withdrawing the ability of our narratives to change and grow with us in each new retelling as each generation adapted. And so they have largely ceased to exist as a thriving part of our own human transformation and our everyday lives. We lost the quintessential reason behind their very existence, which in the end I believe is to remind us of our human connection to our internal world, to one another, and to the very real and necessary tie we hold to the wild world we come from. In the history of story and song traditions, each individual piece is nearly always part of a larger tapestry of memory and knowing. And just as a storyteller may pick up in one place, grasp one thread, or focus on one element or perspective, yet each story is still part of something living, shifting, and vast beyond comprehension. Just so, one human life may have a seeming arc to it, but it does not merely exist in a moment or perspective. It is intrinsically intertwined and connected to and influenced by everything and everyone it touches. Likewise, no time of transformation has a true beginning or end, though it will certainly be seen or felt within a focused path or moment, a time of heightened awareness of living, momentum, and recognition. And that is where we are right now, friends. I believe it is high time that we rekindled the remembrance that we have the power to change our narratives, fantastical or mundane, global or personal, it does not matter. We are all part of the same infinite story. But in this living moment, we are the weavers who hold the threads in our hands. And we can choose where our story will take us. 
This is one of the reasons I chose to start this podcast with the Halcyon Days, because it is one of my favorite stories of transformation. Then again, is not every story a tale of transformation of one kind or another? Can a story as we know it, or a human life for that matter, even exist without some sort of metamorphosis? Our modern Western world and the mindset it cultivates would have us believe so, that history is doomed to repeat itself, that a person or a species cannot change without trials of catastrophic apocalyptic proportions, that we are powerless. We are taught that there is only one truth, one way, one direction or path to walk upon, that all things must be controlled and safety lies within our ability to keep things as they are or destroy them. Whether Cinderella gets her prince or the dashing hero is met with a tragic demise, either way we are taught that everything in life begins with once upon a time and every tale has a clear and definite the end. But when one examines any other aspect of the living world or myth itself, this notion clearly becomes a fallacy. We live in a world that is full of colors and textures and diverse perspectives. Let us, for example, examine more closely the season we find ourselves in now. Winter is often synonymous with old age or with the act of dying, because everywhere we look we see death and darkness. Yet if we remember that the darkness of winter is not merely a time of death, but equally the quiet, pregnant, restful stillness before a transition into expansion and growth, then winter becomes arguably the most potent and life-filled time of the year. Death is not the opposite of life, but intrinsically intertwined with life and life with death. Why then is it so hard to believe that we might find new life and new beginnings within a seemingly dying construct of the world? How can so many be so certain that the death of a stagnant way of surviving, I will not call it living, which we have carried too far and too long must equate some sort of demise for our species and the world. Change is difficult, but this means of existence as though we are separate from everything around us is not conducive to thriving. Winter, too, can be brutal, yes, but it is not the end to all things. It is the shifting and tipping point, the ending of a cycle which signifies the simultaneous step into a new one. It is the seed gathering energy, moisture, and nourishment unseen deep within the ground. It is the child forming within its mother's womb. And from that viewpoint, we stand here upon a precipice where we are not powerless. We hold the power to become aware of our past and our future simultaneously as fluid states of being and becoming, where we might recognize within that stillness that every moment is new, that every moment is now, and in that acknowledgement, it is clear there are no definite borders or barriers or opposites, 
but even the light itself which we hunger for and which begins slowly to fill our days again holds in its very existence more than its seeming self. It holds the promise of sweetness and fresh new life in the spring, yes, of course, and the memory of the juicy, lusty heat and colors of summer, but also the bounteous gifts of autumn which are a sacrifice of the world and a welcome return to the inner stillness, trials, and comforts of winter once again. We teach that there is only one button, and that is on, that there is only one acceptable age, and that is young. We ignore our body's intuition and the wisdom that comes with aging, the wisdom to know when to rest and reflect after we have worked and loved and played and listen in the darkness. Some of us may not have to endure the icy storms we find in folktales of the northern lands, or the bleak darkness, dangers, and dying that the winter once posed to all of us and still does to many. Yet winter is still the time to be kinder, slower, and gentler to ourselves and one another. It is the time to bank our embers or build our fires inside, listening, waiting, watching. Winter is the time of the Kalyach, of Baba Yaga, and of the old folks who have sometimes some very harsh lessons to offer us. The world is changing, friends, as it always has been, and I believe it behooves us, like Janos, to look equally to the past as we do to the future for guidance. We are not powerless. As my friend Danica Boyce would say, you, my dear, are a walking pantheon. Remember, and with that remembering, let us create light together for one another. For we are always stronger when we are together. And please, Please, for the love of the whole holy world, sing, tell stories, new ones to create a kinder, gentler world, but old ones too, to remind us who we have been and show us clearly who we are not anymore. You have been listening to The Loom. The tracks you heard in today's episode were In the Forest by Les FM, courtesy of Pixabay, and Wild Rivers by Ketza, courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org. Our theme song is Grenon's Bastu by Varelsa. You can find links to their website and music listed in the show notes below. I wish you all the happiest of New Year's. And I hope that no matter what happens in the years to come, that this year has already begun to ease some of the tensions of the last and sweeten any wounds you have which require healing. I also hope that the difficulties we find ourselves in now nevertheless leave you eager for new adventures, new stories, and greater transformations. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will come back soon. For I have a story to tell you 
when next we meet again.